Hi everyone, this is Machines and Masterpieces, a podcast that explores the intersection of culture, technology, and economics. I am Christoph Spires, and I'm an Associate Professor of Finance at HEC Paris. I'm joined today by Sam Rosen of Temple University and Anthony Zhang of the University of Chicago, who've just co-authored a study called Investor Experience Matters, Evidence from Generative Art Collections on the Blockchain, in which they show that experienced investors outperform inexperienced investors in the NFT markets. Hi, Sam. Hi, Anthony. Hello. Hey. So maybe a first question. So what attracted you to studying NFTs? So, I mean, in general, it's just such an exciting market. You know, I think we, we kind of got caught up a little bit in the, uh, the mania as well, where uh, like others, you know, we have, or at least personally, I have friends and family who are involved in NFT trading and there's soon as they introduced me to this kind of weird new market that was developing, I just wanted to learn more. And then realizing that, at least at this point, there's not a lot of systemic research trying to understand how this market works and what things look like in the aggregate. That also seemed like a, a, an area to, to contribute on the research side. And as we learned more, we just realized that there was a lot more interesting results to actually dive into. Yes, and you have a, you have a very recent uh, working paper, which I enjoyed reading a lot in which you look at the uh, impact or the importance of investor experience in NFT markets. And so why do, why do you hypothesize that investor experience may matter in the NFT markets, maybe more than in other markets? Well, I guess more so than other markets, in some sense, that's something we're, we're maybe interested in understanding. Uh, but certainly we see the NFT market as a place where it's both straightforward, but then also opaque, where you know, understanding how to value these assets and what their price movements are going to look like moving forward, we basically see a lot of information asymmetry. And therefore, we know from studies of other what's called similar markets, places where there's a lot to learn about the underlying projects and what actually means success. In those markets, it's been documented that experience does matter and does seem to help lead to return outperformance. And therefore, we'd expect to find something similar here. And in fact, we, we do and, and to a pretty large extent. Yeah, so I guess the, the the bottom line of your paper is that you find that experienced investors, investors that have experience in the NFT market, do better than inexperienced investors, right? Yeah, that's that's definitely the the one line summary of our paper uh, at this point. And I think along the way, we also really try to kind of explain how this market works, what it looks like, and 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 try to dive into kind of what could be leading to some of this outperformance and and what could help us understand, you know, why we see this in this market. Uh, because I think those are also, you know, equally important questions once we even establish that that this result is there. Yeah. So, so to go about establishing that result, so you consider the NFT market. So you, so maybe can you say something about how you construct your your database and how you then identify investors and how you measure experience? Yeah, of course. I'll give kind of the the brief summary on on the data side, which uh, I do think is is interesting in its own right. Uh, so when we start working this project uh, back in October, uh, you know, one of the challenges was there's not really, I guess I'd say, kind of a universe of NFT collections to consider. At least there wasn't a pre-made database. So one of the first things we did was just literally to look at the whole set of you know 8,000 or so collections that are posted on OpenSea, the, the one of the most popular uh, trading platforms. And so from there, we started with kind of this overview of just how many collections are out there. And then as part of constructing our, our sample, we wanted to focus on a, a subset of, of these NFTs that uh, NFT collections that kind of met certain criteria that helped us to 
to compare them amongst each other, but also we wanted to, I think, capture what we saw as one of the, the primary types of NFT collections we saw out in the marketplace. Uh, we call them generative collections, and they're basically these groups of NFTs where the associated artwork is some sort of variation on a, a common theme. And usually there's a, uh, there's a pre-specified amount of these collections. They're sold through uh, this public, public sale where investors can go to their website and mint a new NFT item you know, directly on its own. And so um, you know, we, we identified kind of on the collection side, but then as far as the transaction level data, that's another huge advantage of studying this market is just that all of these transactions are on the blockchain, as we saw the on-chain ones are. And so from, for that, we're currently using this database or data set from a company called Moonstream, which collected and processed data for uh, a large set of these NFT collections. And we were able to combine those two together to, to do our analysis, which involves both trade level data as well as looking at the collection level and trying to understand how investor involvement can predict dynamics there. So, so in terms of collections, so you, you, we can think of things like uh, CryptoPunks or Bored Apes and like some of the most famous. Uh, yeah, and that's, I think that's a point we, we try to make. So CryptoPunks is actually a notable exception where they, they launched you know, way before our sample and our sample starts in, in, in April. But certainly Bored Apes is, is one of the most well-known examples of, of um, the type of generative collection we study. And so, yeah, one of the things we point out is that a lot of these, what's called ones that are becoming more well-known, and I wouldn't call them necessarily household names yet, are in our sample. And, and this type of generative collection, I guess one thing I guess you could say we show is they, they make up a majority or close to half of the primary market sales, even when you looked at the, the broader set that don't necessarily have these same type of characteristics to their collection. Yeah. And so, so how do you identify investors then, right? Because I think what you observe is Wallace, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I think there, you know, we are a little bit loose, or at least we, we, we in our paper acknowledge that we are, at least when we talk about investors, we're, we're actually talking about wallets. That's how we are able to identify kind of individual, I guess you could say, identities. And so kind of with that caveat, that's our analysis is, is based on identifying transaction level activity uh, at the wallet level and using that to classify different wallets into whether or not uh, we observe kind of sufficient trading above uh, uh, a threshold we define as being experienced. Do you have any sense to what extent people use different wallets when they're actually trading? In particular, when ex I would think that experienced yes. investors are investors that trade more, but they're yeah. more likely to have different wallets. Yeah, so th that's definitely a, a uh, uh, I don't know if I'd say a concern, but certainly something we, we, we acknowledge. And I guess I'd say anecdotally, right, from the people we, we talk to and know who trade in this space, we know that using multiple wallets is is uh, definitely something that does happen in practice. Uh, nonetheless, we think our method for identifying experienced uh, investors, I mean, our thresholds in terms of the number of collections you have to interact with to be even considered experienced investors, it's not necessarily like it's very high. It's, you know, maybe a, a six collections on the minting side, 10 collections on the trading side. So, you know, in some sense, we see our sig, or at least our identification of these experienced wallets uh, as being kind of a noisy measure, but one where we think we're at least picking up a majority of the wallets of, of you know, the actual underlying investors. And I think that's that's kind of at the end of the day, the best we can do, at least with, with the type of data we do have. Yeah, I guess uh, just to jump in and also add a bit, sort of, it might be possible to catch some of the cases where experienced investors are using multiple wallets. If, for example, we see, like, we've heard that in some cases, like mints will like not allow one wallet to mint too many items, right? So the natural strategy might be for an experienced guy to like start multiple wallets. 
and then sort of mint and then just like send yeah. them to one wallet if they kind of want to keep everything together. So sort of we haven't done this yet. In principle, we could try and look for these patterns where it looks like people are sort of buying from one wallet and then sending to another. Right? Yeah, because I guess you could identify yeah. transfers between wallets, right? If it's transferring right, yeah. at the zero, like without a price associated, then probably it's moving from one wallet to another. But yeah, I guess from a data data standpoint, that's also it's not the uh, easiest thing to do. Not, yeah. A thing maybe to add on to Sam's point is that sort of, I guess if you see a noisy measure of experience where sort of some of the inexperienced wallets that we are looking at are actually experienced guys using sort of extra wallets, right? Maybe there's a set sort of that, that seems like it would bias towards finding no result because sort of some of our inexperienced guys like are actually experienced. So I guess one way of looking at our results is that even if we have a relatively noisy measure of experience, as long as our like relatively high activity wallets really are experienced, that seems to be in a sense like a maybe a lower bound on sort of the real effective experience people if you think we have uh, sort of some of the experienced guys really are more experienced than we think yeah yeah, yeah. So, so so your measure of experience that's relating to how many different collections people trade in exactly so so what we do is you know benefit of our our, our data is you know we see all the activity uh these investors do and within this broader universe of generative collections so we're kind of focusing within you know a large set of collections looking at their activity and in our kind of full sample version of this this measure, we yeah we look at how many collections you've both minted from during our sample period, as well as how many you've traded with in the the, the secondary market. And so, in terms of how we actually pick the threshold, we look for that the number of collections kind of along each uh, type of trade and figure out where the the point at which about half of the the underlying trades are done by investors with that level of experience. And we think it's important that we actually require experienced investors to have uh, above a certain level of activity in both minting and trading to highlight the fact that they're involved with with both aspects of the market and that they really are kind of investors who who yeah engage with with both primary and secondary market sales and showing that that's also you know a form of experience that they have is being able to interact in both markets or both types of trades. Yeah, so, so if I understand correctly, your your measure of experience is measured over the whole sample, right? Yeah, we 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 have uh, two versions. So we have the kind of full sample version, especially when we're just trying to characterize this group and understand them at a high level. But when we're doing our collection level analysis, we we I think certainly appreciate the uh, the uh, potential concern, which would be that you know there's some sort of survivor bias or where. where uh, you know, measuring based on ex post data. So we actually define an ex ante version for our collection level analysis, where we always look the day before the given activity and basically define investors, you know, as of their activity at a given point or just wallets at a different point. And so there, you know, our our results are basically the same or very similar, whether or not we run with with either measure in, the, in, in that analysis. And I think that makes us feel a little better that it's not that we're, we're picking up some sort of uh, kind of ex post um, uh, behavior, but we actually are picking up on you know signal from the investor itself, knowing or showing experience in this actually mattering for the the uh, activity. So for our collection level analysis, we want to show basically that collection where you have a lot of experts participating in the mint are more likely to mint out. Um, they mint out faster, and they experience higher post mint price growth, right? And so what we effectively do is sort of just before the collection starts minting, we define basically experts based on prior to that mint sort of are they in the top fraction of activity or not. And so that way we can basically define a measure of expertise 
what fraction of this mint belongs to expert that's not forward looking at all it's entirely about expert activity prior to this mint starting so that's the sense in which we sort of try and get rid of this uh, forward looking kind of effect in the measurement yeah yeah, because in the first part of your paper, you uh, document that experienced investors realize higher capital gains, right? I think that's the way to put it. You have, when when reselling experienced investors realize higher capital gains than inexperienced investors. Can you say something about the economic magnitude of that effect? We can. So our, you know, on our baseline, or I guess it's our, our benchmark results, our, our estimates imply that experienced investors earn 10 percentage points higher on each trade relative to their inexperienced counterparts. And these trades, we also document, trades are typically held. So that that regression in particular, that, that, that estimate comes from regression where you also control for holding period. And one of the things we show, at least descriptively, is that a lot of these trades are held for, let's say, around a day on average. And so you know, 10 percentage points on trades that are held usually for about a day is a pretty large advantage or a pretty large premium on top of inexperienced. And so can you say whether it's really a causal effect of experience, right? I mean, I think this with a lot of these experience, also papers in other markets, is like may, maybe skilled investors are more likely to persist and or or they build up experience, right? Can you can you really say that it's the effect of experience that you're picking up rather than people sorting into different types of behavior? So at this point, I would say, you know, not not yet. So I think that's something that we would like to be able to say a little more conclusively, uh, at least on the, the the causality signs. But I think one thing is our results certainly point to ways in which experienced investors do seem to have an advantage of so getting on, on the mechanism side. And so we we have results that point to the fact that they appear to pick better collections as well as pick better items within collections. And in fact, we even have a result where we look at just items uh, individual NFTs, the same ones that trade over time. So for ones that actually have several trades over our sample. And when experienced investors were the ones who bought and sold that individual item, even there, they earn a higher uh, return within the same item. Uh, so I think we, we we kind of aren't necessarily there yet in terms of really establishing kind of the, the causal channel of experience. But I think we, we certainly definitely have a lot of evidence that points to ways that they could be earning this type of premium. Because I guess an alternative, I don't know if it's an alternative explanation or an alternative interpretation of your findings is that what you call experienced investors are more like arbitrageurs or speculators have short deal holding periods. Yeah. They pay rather low prices, resell quickly, while what you call inexperienced investors are more the art lovers that pay high prices, hold longer, give up on financial returns in exchange for emotional pleasure. So I don't know to what extent that would be a different story than yours, or that would be just a different interpretation of your findings. So there, uh, I know I think there's there's definitely kind of truth in that statement. And, and and you know one thing I'll say is that you know we can point to at least the the data we have and actually how we can characterize these investors to at least point out that experienced investors, by definition in our sample, they trade more than inexperienced. Uh, but when we look at actually the rate of trading, they don't necessarily look at least in general like they're. You know, high frequency traders or bots that are really just kind of coming in and, and doing these really uh, kind of small trades. You know, they trade maybe somewhere between you know a quarter to to three quarters of the days during the sample. They're making at least one trade, and so I think in that in that sense, we we do characterize experienced investors as you know ones that seem to be kind of picking and choosing their collections and not necessarily just 
kind of, yeah, mechanically trying to, to earn these returns. But I think there's could be a subset that I kind of follow that strategy. And I think diving into maybe even some of the different strategies that experienced investors follow is, is certainly something we, we, we plan to do and we think would actually help add a lot mm-hmm. to, to these results as well. And I think uh, maybe I'll also jump in here and uh, say, I feel like, yeah, I think, Christoph, you asked a great question of whether this fits in our hypothesis or not. And I think potentially a story, which is basically the experience of investors are in a sense dealers does fit in our story. Like there are patterns in the data that do suggest they are trading at a somewhat higher frequency. They're not literally trading, like holding this for a few seconds, but they are much higher frequency than experienced investors. I guess the thing is though, it's not entirely clear to us actually that even if these guys were dealers, they should be making higher returns per trade. And the reason is, if you think of the inexperienced investors as like thinking really hard before they figure out which thing to buy, right? And everyone were on a level playing field in terms of informational advantage. Sort of maybe the experienced investors would make things up in terms of like high volume, but be making low returns per trade in, a, in this alternative world, right? Whereas the inexperienced investors, by spending more time and buying less things, sort of are systematically getting the high quality things. So the kind of interesting thing, one way to interpret our results is that even if you think of the world basically as these inexperienced investors spending a long time before making one decision on one NFT to buy, that decision is financially wrong and they end up paying a much higher price for that thing and achieving lower returns than these people who are trading much more things and also it seems spending a lot less time on each thing. And I think that that kind of illustrates like, if you think about, for example, as a somewhat silly analogy, the market for like potatoes, right? You don't have to be an expert in potatoes to get a good price for potatoes. You go to the supermarket and everyone's getting the same price. So I guess in terms of results shedding some light on the degree of inefficiency in this market, the fact that people are a a subset of people are spending a bunch of time buying like relatively few NFTs for the art and sort of getting ripped off on them suggests suggests that the market is sufficiently inefficient that really like having this informational advantage allows you to do much better, despite the fact that you're really not spending that much time on each trade. So maybe that's a way so that sort of like our results kind of like are, I think, consistent with this view that in some sense, the experienced guys are acting kind of like dealers in this market. Do you have any sense of whether experienced guys are also trying to take advantage of inexperienced guys? I mean, I think there's some this been some discussion of wash trading and and like fake transactions to make other people believe that something is actually a good investment or something will go up in value. Is this something you've you've researched or plan to research? So this is something in that latter category that we definitely we plan to look into more. And and I think we we kind of like you, we we've kind of heard the same theories, right? That a lot of these are, you know, perhaps wash trades and that you have this type of activity, which I understand also happens in, in the art world too, right? This is something that's, I think, a, a, you know, not just a problem to NFTs. Um, and I think the nice thing is that's something we should actually be able to, I think, investigate pretty carefully, where given that we know the identities of different investors, we can actually look at, you know, trades between particularly experienced and inexperienced and kind of vice versa. Um, and so, so I do hope that we can talk more about that in, in future drafts because it's it's a I think an clearly important area that that we can talk mm. more. So in the second part of your paper, you're looking more into collections, and you find that collections where experienced investors uh, come in are more successful, right? And you I think you conclude that experienced traders' behavior predicts returns of collections, right? So. So I was wondering, is there any sense in which this could be endogenous or self-fulfilling in the sense that this is probably a market in which people are trying to watch what other people are doing and maybe experienced investors' behavior just copied by other investors? So I think we, we, we agree that there is this idea in this market, and we know this anecdotally, and you can find websites of people trying to maybe follow up on 
on you know whale trades. I think is the term that's that's often used. Uh, so so we, we're certainly kind of aware that this is 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 a feature of this market where there's at least some investors trying to to um, follow follow others. But at least I think in terms of the experienced investors, you know, ability to predict these collection level success, even if there's some sort of you know following them in their trading behavior, there's still an aspect that those experienced investors are able to pick the ones that ultimately have this performance where at least you know the experienced investors have the ability to invest in any collections and and we are able to to document at least certain features of the collection that seem to be drawing or I guess maybe say repelling certain experienced investors away uh, which also shows that there is a kind of an underlying strategy that seems to be at play when they're trying to choose among which collections to even get into in the first place yeah I was I was interested in in, in that part of your findings as well so you, you document that there's certain kind of collections that are favored by experienced investors. So I'd be interested first to know what kind of features are favored by experienced investors. And also imagine you want to design an NFT collection from scratch. Would it be possible yeah. to design something that will attract experienced investors? Yeah, that's a, a real fair question. And and yeah, in terms of what what our results, what we what we are able to say is I think there's kind of two types of characteristics we show that experienced investors seem to pay attention to. And the first set would be the types of characteristics that I'd say are kind of easy or relatively cheap to copy and imitate maybe from more successful collections. So things like whether or not the collection provides a roadmap about where they plan on going and things like whether or not in the actual description, they particularly try to highlight that there'll be a subset of, of rare items. And characteristics like that, we actually find are negatively associated with experienced investor involvement, You know, suggesting that more experienced investors look at these types of features that or you know at least low cost to to try to to imitate and and don't seem to at least be drawn to those collections. In fact, the opposite. Now, the other type of item or characteristics that we find is one that's uh, basically we we'd say kind of immutable, which is whether or not a collection lists an associated artist with their art, and whether or not that artist is actually already known or has some sort of existing web presence. And so that's something that a collection couldn't necessarily just fake for the sake of of the given sale. And that's in, uh, a characteristic that we show experienced investors do seem to like and are more likely to invest in collections where artists particularly have not only that they're specified, but they also have some sort of existing online web presence. And this is consistent, I guess I'd say, with some more anecdotal evidence talking to investors in the space of even things that they they say they look for. But can you hypothesize how accounting for Things like transaction costs would change any of your findings in your paper, right? So I think uh, something that's discussed a lot is the extent of gas fees and other transaction yeah. costs. And I would guess that this is something where the difference between experienced and inexperienced investors shows up as well, right? So there's lots of stories of inexperienced investors who exposed are surprised by the fact that they had yeah. to pay these large yeah. transaction costs. So is this something you're still planning to do or are doing or... Can you say something about that? Yeah, we could definitely say something. And and then maybe the first thing is at least within our existing set of results, you know, we we do try to control for some let's call it time varying characteristics of of collections where we have things like date fixed effects, which we know are you know not perfect ways to capture you know variation and kind of underlying gas fees, but we 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 are able to kind of control for for factors like that at least on a, a daily basis. But as far as you know, the actual role of of transaction fees and gas fees. Uh, that is something we're, we're very actively working on. And I mentioned earlier that we get our 
current transaction level data set uh, from a company that that essentially produced it and thankfully put it online, which we're very uh, appreciative of. But we've been collecting our own transaction level data uh, with a longer time period because we want to be able to look at kind of the market crash later in the fall of 2021. But an additional benefit is that this data we're collecting ourselves is also going to include gas fees. And so there, I think we we definitely want to understand more the role of these transaction costs and actually success as well as in returns, because it would be a fair point to say maybe experienced investors are even better at kind of managing these transaction costs as well. But that's something ultimately that's going to be an empirical result we can show one way or the other. So if, if you think about NFTs as an asset class, I don't know if it's an asset class, but like, how do your results inform our view? I wouldn't necessarily say change our view because I don't know if people really have a view to begin with, but like, how do, how do your results teach us anything about risk return characteristics of NFTs? First of all, just picking up something in your question, you're right. We don't necessarily have a lot of kind of ex-ante baggage that we bring into a conversation about the NFT market because it's so so new for everybody. And I think if we start current analysis, it's hard to think necessarily about the risk return trade-off because we're capturing a time where the market's just going up and things are going well. And at least before fees, right? Our data doesn't have uh, things like gas fees yet. But before fees, everybody's doing well in our data set, at least at the, the kind of gross level of return. So, you know, as far as kind of understanding kind of the downside risk, I think that's something we we would like to to add more on when we have uh, the ability to study a time period where market's going down. But I do think maybe taking a step back and comparing this market to, to other markets, there's certainly uh, a lot of common features, both the kind of high degree of information um, asymmetry, as well as just this role for for experience, and I think uh, what we're really trying to offer with with NFTs is is this this setting where we have such great data and ability to to kind of understand who's experienced and not. And I think really hopefully be able to also talk more about these specific mechanisms of in these environments. What is it that is really helping to drive the benefit from this experience? Um, I think that's what we can really talk more specifically about in the NFT market. I wonder if if collections like uh, Bored Apes, for example whether they're not more likely to attract a specific type of investor or speculator or speculative mm-hmm. behavior compared to, let's say, single edition NFTs on platforms like SuperRare or right, or even yeah. the traditional art auction market. I mean, you definitely also have speculation in the traditional art market, but I, I wonder to what extent these collections like Bored Apes are not almost geared to attract a specific type of individual who's very much interested in the trading and gaming and, and, and sort of speculation aspects? No, it's, it's, I think it's a great question. And I, and I, I think I, I would very much be willing to believe that hypothesis too. And I guess one thing that's nice about our setting, kind of when I, I know I kind of keep coming back to the data because I think it's so awesome that, right, if we, if we, we can actually look at that, right? Because we, we understand who's trading in, in the kind of set of generative collections, which on their surface kind of feel a little bit more like they're designed to be a speculative asset class, right? They even have this primary market mechanism where you buy into a collection. You can mint from a website, you just get a random item. So you're you're basically buying buying into the the idea behind the collection. Uh, but we can actually see whether or not investors are active in this space that we're focused on. And and we have the transaction data for these kind of non-GC collections or uh, so we, we can actually look into that and understand whether or not there is this type of segmentation that you're hypothesizing. Because at least from what I know of been studying in the art world, I understand that at least NFT investors are certainly different from your traditional art investors, right? So, so there, there's definitely kind of a new 
new set of people coming in uh, in, in this world. But as far as within other kind of NFT collections, yeah, that's an interesting question. Would you recommend the average household to invest in NFTs? <laughs> the average household, huh? I'll pun on this. Anthony, what do you think? Would you, would you, what's your investment advice here? <laughs> I can say personally that I have invested a total of $200 uh, dollars or so in a punk, uh, sorry, in an eight ripoff, which our analysis after I bought it showed is statistically a terrible idea. And I have, I think the floor price is currently roughly what I bought the eight four at roughly six months or so ago. Um, mm -hmm. So my personal experience says only put in what you are okay with losing. I think that's that's a great great sentiment, which is that especially for for those who are interested in this world, I definitely would encourage people to you know create get the right kind of wallet set up and such to buy NFTs and just go out there and kind of explore this world a little bit because it's 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 interesting. It is it is fun and um, you know I think there's really no better way to kind of yeah understand how this works other than actually maybe even participating in a mint sale on your own mm. perhaps even uh yeah one that isn't so, so successful so I definitely encourage people who are interested to, to yeah get get involved uh, just so they can actually see for themselves what it's like